Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Housekeeping with Elk and Meerkat. I'm Meerkat. And I'm Elk. And today's episode is called DNR. D-N-R. If there's anything we know about the medical field, it's that they love abbreviations. Mm -hmm. Um, We also know, and you should too, that we're not medical professionals and nothing that we say should be taken as medical advice. Hell yeah. Right. We do have a couple of... I don't want to say fun, interesting content warnings for this episode. Uh, Mine are suicide, specifically assisted suicide, as well as talk about Nazis and a bit of the Holocaust. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Elk Elk does not know where that's going, so. Don't know where it's coming from. Don't know where it go. Cotton Cotton Eye Joe. Joe. Did you have any, um, anything? No. um, I think the suicide thing pretty much covers it. Okay. You know, that that little thing. That old chestnut, yes. Right. All right. Um, Super exciting day for us. We are recording. This is the first episode with Elk's new desk. We have a whole new setup back here. It feels different. It's nice. Feels a little more professional. Uh, We went with an open floor plan. We very Um, much did, yeah. Just like an open concept is what we were going for. And yet our mics are still attached to tray tables because that's just what's easiest. (laughs) It's easiest just to move them around that way, pretty much. Okay, let's get get into it. Uh, You know what? Sorry, right before we start, I mentioned that DNR is an abbreviation, which I think we all know, but uh, it's do not resuscitate, just if anybody listening doesn't know. And I'll get a little bit more into that in a a bit, but go ahead. Uh, the breakdown for this episode is a legendary jazz musician checks into the hospital believing he is dying of ALS and signs a do not resuscitate order, but House disagrees with the diagnosis and violates the order to save the man's life, landing him in court. There's that. That's the whole I, episode. Yeah, that's that's pretty much, that sums it up. All right, we're done. There we go. Who's in it? Uh, well, before we get into that... Um, oh. We need to discuss the most important piece of this episode, the fact that they finally played oh. the good intro music. Yes. It's, it's been awful for eight weeks now, and then they finally play the intro music uh, that will be there for the rest of the series. Yes. Which, Much uh, excite. Now I don't have to skip the intro anymore. I mean, I'm still going to. Oh. Well, okay. Uh, lots of uh, lots of actors and or actresses in this episode. Uh, we have Harry Lennox as John Henry Giles, the primary patient. Um, man, he's been in a lot of stuff. He was General Swanwick in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Commander Locke in The Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions. Um, he played Joe Adams in Ray, the movie about Ray Charles. Um He's he's been on quite a few TV shows for a long time. Like he he had a major part in lots of other TV shows and movies too. He's a busy guy. Right. So cool. yeah, there's him. Uh, we have Chloe Webb as Cora, who is John's old friend and his manager. Um, she played Linda Mason on Twins. Uh, that's the one with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then um, she is Monica Gallagher on Shameless, which. We'll have to watch that at some point, I hear. Uh, We have Mike Starr as Willie, a clinic patient suffering from ED. Which is funny, because his name is Willie. (laughs) 
I didn't even put that together. It's also go. my brain does not go to erectile dysfunction. It goes to eating disorder. Oh, no. And I, I had a split second of what? And then I figured it out. <laughs> right. Um, he's been on a lot of movies and shows, but if you don't recognize him as Joe Mentolino from Dumb and Dumber, there's just something wrong with you. <laughs> that's yes. That's the only thing I can think of when I see him. Um, next, we have Victor Raider Wexler, which is just a badass name, I think, as uh, Judge Winter who presides over House's hearing. He was on Minority Report, Dr. Doolittle 2. He plays Ray on American Dad and Frederick Estes in the Boss Baby films. Never seen any of those, so I don't know My who that is. My friend's baby loves Boss Baby, so I know the theme song, but I have not indulged in the... Apparently there's a show, so she'll put mm-hmm. that on because he likes the intro and... The, the voices but i've never seen the movie it's supposed to be really good actually i'd rather not so. uh, yeah i'd yeah. rather not every every time i see films like that coming out i immediate, immediately immediately there's a reason i immediately associate them with the emoji movie so okay the emoji movie was kind of good uh i don't i watched it in a theater by myself so who are you <laughs> who are you uh he even did some voice work for uh some video games like darksiders and skyrim so there's Ooh, that fancy we have riff hutton as morris who is house's attorney for his hearing he's done a lot of voiceover work uh in movies like spider-man into the spider-verse angry birds 2 hotel transylvania lots of others we next have david conrad as marty hamilton who is john henry's friend and current doctor oh yes 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 he plays the character Trap on Wedding Crashers. Mm, haven't seen it in quite a while. Yeah. Uh, Ian Quinn on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I have watched. Yeah, I, I couldn't I place him immediately. And he's been on a lot of other TV shows. He looks a lot like Wentworth Miller to me. Yeah, of course. I know who that is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Brandy Norwood as herself. Yes. She plays herself in this one. She's done a bunch of TV shows, but everyone pretty much recognizes her from her show Moesha. So, there's that. Uh, we have Michael Oberlander as Ross, who is John Henry's attorney against House during his hearing. I didn't recognize him, but he's been on a few TV shows. Uh, Dennis Howard as the chaplain. I don't know who the chaplain is in this episode. I was trying to figure that out. The chaplain. I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't know if that's during. Why'd you even mention the it, hearing? Then? Well, because it says he's been on a lot of stuff. So, so <laughs> if someone else knows who the chaplain is, he's been on Airplane 2. He had a part on Parks and Rec, and he was on the Star Trek Enterprise show. Not like Next Generation. Is or that anything. like Star Wars? Mm, yeah. We're going to get hate mail for that. Sorry. Why didn't they call it Planet Trek? They never went to a star. <laughs> Tell them. And finally, we have Courtney Hengler as a process server. Um, she plays Amanda Larson, who is Daniel's wife on Cobra Kai. Uh, she's Missy Cooper on the Big Bang Big Bang Theory. Okay. <laughs> wow. It hurts you to even say it. Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> Claudia on the show Mom and a lot of others. Awesome. And that's it. That's a long list. We've yeah. had a couple episodes with nothing. Yeah, pretty much. And then, and they, then this. They threw them all in at once. Okay, so let's get into the plot. Please do. Yeah. Uh, so Brandy 
as herself, is in the studio recording a song, and she's waiting for famous jazz trumpet player John Henry Giles to arrive to record a part. Her guitar player says there's no way he's coming, but she believes he will eventually show up. John Henry is on his way, but he's running late. Um, He hasn't done session gigs in a long time, but he wants to do Brandy a favor. When he arrives, he tries to record his part, but he loses the ability to breathe while doing so. He goes into, I guess, respiratory failure, so that's why he ends up in the hospital. Uh, We jump to House speaking to Cuddy about wanting John Henry's case since he finds his paralysis interesting. John Henry hasn't been able to walk for two years, and no one definitively knows why, at least in House's mind, no one knows why. Cuddy doesn't want House involved. She's not really concerned with his paralysis and only wants to focus on his lack of breathing, which they have diagnosed as lobar pneumonia. Uh, Cuddy says John's primary is Dr. Marty Hamilton, who contacted House's team about his treatment, and the case is assigned to Foreman. Okay. Anything so far? Yes, a lot. Um, I'm, I'm going to get some of it kind of out of the way, even though it's going to come up again later. Um, that way we can, you know, whatever. Okay, so I am going to give you some, like, summaries of like ALS um and as we get into it some more because again as I've said in previous episodes these are really big diseases right that have a lot going on and I we don't have time to get into them like that but also I don't want to do them like a misjustice by not explaining them fully if that makes sense so sure let's talk about paralysis real quick we have some different types we've got mono hemi para and quadra Okay, so if you know your Latin, you can kind of figure this out. But like mono is only one arm or one leg. Hemi is going to be um, one arm and one leg on the same side of your body. So right arm, right so leg. So like hemisphere. Right. Para would be both of your legs or both your arms, I guess. But that's not normally a thing. Um, and then quad is going to be everything. Right? All four. Yeah, so that's paralysis in a nutshell. Um yeah. Can't move him, can't feel him, all that. All that jazz kind of fits because he's a trumpet player. Okay. Oh. Lobar pneumonia. So this can be in one or more lobes of the lung, and it's a response to bacterial pneumonia. And there's three different classifications of pneumonia. This is one of them, right? Because it's affecting the lobes. It's lobar pneumonia. It's just mm. a, a breakdown of it. Um, ALS. Let's talk about it real quick. So this is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, also known as glue glaric. Glue larynx. Glue larynx. There we go. Wow. This is a neurodegenerative disease and it is progressive. It's going to affect the nerve cells in your brain, in your spinal cord. Um, It's a motor neuron disease, which is kind of like an umbrella. And then this is is a disease within that. Um, And basically, it's going to take those motor neurons, which are the nerve cells that go into your brain and spinal cord and then to your muscles. So they kind of tell everything what to do. So it's going to go into those and it's going to deteriorate them and cause death of those cells. Okay. Um, I, I'm kind of confused by them saying, okay, it's got to be low bar pneumonia because most, I, the main cause of death from ALS is respiratory failure. Because it's going to move up your body, mm-hmm. and eventually it's going to get to your lungs. Like, that's the lowest thing that kind of can 
kill you the fastest, if that makes any sense. You know, you can go into kidney failure and stuff like that, but it's going to take a while to like really to, to kill you. But once you get to those lungs, you, you're kind of screwed. Um, so that's actually the main like cause of death within ALS. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they wouldn't just think, oh, it's progressing into that and that's what it's from. Anyways, um, about 10% of people with ALS survive 10 years or more. That's not a super high number, um, but normally they will die within three to five years of symptoms appearing. So it's got mm. a really high mortality rate. It will kill you. Um, there's We don't have a cure for it. We don't have... We have different treatments that you can try and um, slow it down a bit, but there's there's no cure. Anyways, I think that's it. Um, ALS is going to come up a lot in this episode, so I figured I'd just get that kind of out of the way to begin with. Explain it so we can understand. Hopefully. I like it. Okay, so uh, Foreman goes over the case and uh, wants to know what, what everyone else thinks. Uh, Chase says he's... Um, John is staying in the 90s uh, uh, on his nasal cannula. Um, his uh, sats are there, so I guess that's his saturation levels. Yeah, oxygen. Ah. <laughs> Ooh, oxygen sat. Yeah, saturation. So, despite his r- initial respiratory failure, he's now, since he's on oxygen, he's in a, a decent level in the yeah. 90s is, is fine. And that, that nasal cannula is just, you know that tube that they put kind of like over your ears and under into your nose. That's what that is. I remember. Yes. So it's going to push that pure oxygen yeah. into you. Uh, Foreman wants to keep him on broad spectrum antibiotics. And since he's displaying septic physiology, wants to check for adrenal and thyroid function. Um, we've kind of talked about sepsis before. Uh, yep. I guess just general. Yeah, it's um, basically where the body kind of responds to an infection and it accidentally kills its own tissues Mm -hmm. you're going septic he said septic physiology and i i don't really know what he meant by that so physiology is just the study of like functioning living organisms so i mean yeah you can study the bacteria that's causing the sepsis maybe that's what i i've just never heard it phrased that way it was kind of weird um and then he wants blood for adrenal and thyroid checks so there's kind of this loop, right? You've got adrenal, hypothalamus, and pituitary loop, and they all affect each other. Um, and it's this whole loop is going to regulate how much cortisol is being produce, produced, and cortisol is fight-or-flight hormone. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're getting into adrenal, right? You, Your adrenaline is kicked up. You have fight-or-flight response. It could be from almost getting in a car wreck or someone pulling a gun on you, okay? Um, and obviously, that's going to... Um, sorry, if if any of these in that loop are affected, it's going to... Mess up the whole loop. Yes, and mess up how much cortisol is being produced. So if your adrenal function is low, if that's messed up, then that can cause a thyroid problem. If you already have maybe a minor thyroid problem, it can make it a lot worse mm-hmm. and vice versa. So that's why he's looking at both of those at the same time. Okay. Uh, House wants to look into the paralysis, but Foreman isn't interested because the current diagnosis from Dr. Hamilton is ALS, which he already arrived at by excluding other possibilities, pretty much in the same way that House does. Yeah, just, it's a disease of exclusion. Yeah, 
you go for everything else first because ALS isn't curable. You you want it to be something else. Exactly. House, however, says he himself hasn't excluded the other possibilities. One doctor did it. I haven't yet. So I want to look at it because that's how House is. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, because ALS isn't curable or treatable, House doesn't like that answer. Right. He, he wants to see if Which there's is something that can be done. Yeah. And getting a second opinion isn't, you know, unheard of or anything. Um, I don't know if they mentioned how long he's been with Dr. Hamilton or... I think they said he's been with Hamilton for about two years. Okay. So, I mean, they're pretty far into this. You would think that maybe he would have gotten a second opinion at some point or sent labs to someone else to kind of look at stuff. But, you know, house is house. So Yeah. And on the opposite side of things, sometimes when... When you hear a diagnosis that makes sense to you or it kind of fits your symptoms and all of that, you just settle on it. You're like, okay, that's an answer. So right. he may not have wanted to look any further. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chase suggests uh, Guillain-Barre. Guillain-Barre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guillain-Barre. But Foreman says paralysis progression would be symmetric, which this wasn't. Um, it's I guess Guillain-Barre. Sorry, yeah. I just realized that I say Guillain-Barre, and that's how I was taught it in school, but you can say that a million different ways. Guillain-Barre. So. Don't come at me. <laughs> Baguette. Um, Cameron says it could be transverse myelitis, but the tests were negative for it, uh, as well as being negative for masses and AVM. Yeah. Whoops. We'll get back to that. <laughs> I was like, do you want me to talk about that now? We'll, we'll, we'll go back we'll to it. We'll get back to it. But... Cameron's wrong, which normally, so normally when we're going through this, the differentials and stuff, we find out that Cameron was right all along. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in this one, she's she's very wrong. What's interesting is their tests were the MRIs, so she was right and she was wrong. Yeah. Because they end up doing it later and they do find yeah. something. She's kind of, yeah, yeah. It's not her fault she's wrong. I'll no, put it that it's way. not. Chase suggests multifocal motor neuropathy. Which House likes. Yes. Uh, he asked Foreman to do a new MRI and to treat John Henry with IVIG, intravenous immunoglobulin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Foreman doesn't want to. He believes it is, in fact, ALS. And while it's a death sentence, it doesn't mean that it's the wrong, that it's wrong. diagnosis. Yeah. So, do you have anything about m- yeah. multifocal motor neuropathy? Yeah. So, this is just, it's a pretty rare neuropathy. And you're going to have progressive asymmetric um, muscle, possibly atrophy, but at least weakness, um, which atrophy is where it just wastes away, which, spoiler alert, actually, I think we've already kind of brought it up, but House has muscle atrophy in his life. Yeah. Um, again, that's one of those where not, I'm not going to give you a million things on it, so that's it. Basically, it does, you know, fit, obviously. He's got some muscle weakness, and it is progressive, and... Um, it could lead to paralysis, depending on how that's going. So, And then IVIG, we have talked about it before, but it pretty much makes or provides extra antibodies when your body can't make its own. Okay. So you're just throwing them in an IV, slapping it in a vein, pop, pop, you got some extras. Getting juiced. But pop, like pop. your blood getting juiced. While alone with John Henry, Foreman discusses his treatment. John Henry believes Hamilton is a good doctor. But his treatments haven't been working. Um, obviously, again, like you said, I, I'm sure he understands there's no cure for it. But he, apparently his treatments also just haven't been helping with the symptoms either. Yeah. It, so, it seems like he's not happy with it. Exactly. 
uh, and he assumes he'll probably just get worse and die soon. Um, again, if the respiratory failure is a progression of it, then he would be in very late stage yeah, ALS at this much. point. Uh, he wants to know whose diagnosis Foreman trusts more, and Foreman reluctantly, it seems, says ALS fits, although he, he's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but to his patient, he wants to seem more confident, of so course. he says ALS fits. So John Henry doesn't want an MRI done, and he signs a DNR form. Yes, a do not resuscitate form. So this is a medical order, and it's done by a doctor, and... It tells healthcare providers that this patient, very specifically, with no mental incapacities, they know what they're saying, um, (laughs) is they don't want to be resuscitated, okay? So this means do not do CPR on me. So that's uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. So do not do CPR on me if I stop breathing or if my heart stops beating. That is it. Like... That's what it boils down to, bottom line, um, which we will discuss here in a little bit because it's not, oh, hey, you know, if this happens, sure, go ahead and bring me back. But if this happens, don't bring me back. Yeah. This is bottom line DNR. Okay. House listens to some of John Henry's records because he's a classy guy. But in my opinion, just play the right notes. Oh just God. play the right notes. Come on. It's, it's I, I don't like jazz. Just play the right notes. I don't uh, like jazz either, but sometimes the wrong note is the note that hits the soul just right. You need to listen to uh, don't give John, H. Recommendations. John H. Benjamin's jazz record. The guy who voices Bob Belcher. He came <laughs> yeah. out with a quote-unquote jazz record called I Don't Know How to Play Jazz. <laughs> and it's literally just him with like professional jazz players trying to play the piano with them in a jazzy way. It is it is an uh, art. Well, you need to listen to Lizzo playing some jazz flute. Jazz flute? Jazz flute. Jazz flute. All right, back okay. to it. Let's go. I, uh, I got a lot to get to. <laughs> I'm excited. Foreman tells House that he started John on IV steroids and Synthroid. House again suggests IVIG, and Foreman says John Henry doesn't want any treatment, um, but House points out a DNR doesn't mean no treatment, which is true. It is true, but he still has the right to refuse a treatment. That's true. So, I mean, that he's just trying to get around that. Uh, Synthroid is just a... It, it's a medicine, obviously. <laughs> I don't know why I'm wording things so weird today, um, but it's going to help your thyroid levels, and it's Pretty much, it's going to uh, replace some of the thyroxin that your body isn't able to make. Okay. That's all. Uh, Foreman increases John's steroid treatment and decides, without telling House, he decides, okay, I'm going to start him on IVIG, which he's the primary. He doesn't have to tell House, but I think he doesn't want to tell House because of a pride thing. Uh, he does need to tell his patient, though. That's true. I think he orders it. I don't remember if he... I think he's on the phone when he asks someone to do it yeah so i would assume that person would have to tell john henry but i don't know if they did yeah not if it's just a nurse that's like okay well the doc ordered this like what if he's asleep i technically sure they should definitely say or he should ask you know what are you starting me on but it's a possibility that they didn't since he did refuse treatment that's true house sees a clinic patient suffering from erectile dysfunction not the other one yes uh who is requesting viagra 
House doesn't believe he needs the pills, but needs insulin instead. The patient has diabetes and hasn't been complying with treatment for it. Oh, I got things I can say. Oh, boy. I'm not going to, but... He points out the patient has no hair on his hands and that his shoes are way too small for him, which would point to nerve damage. Yes. So, I guess, polyneuropathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a big thing with diabetics is you start having polyneuropathy and especially with feet it's recommended that diabetics wear shoes at all times because you could get a cut or something and not feel and it. not feel it but also you heal a lot slower so that can be a big problem especially on feet because you don't see it or um your feet are on dirty stuff a lot i do actually have a note about the oh you don't have hair on your hands mm-hmm. so you have nerve damage i thought that was really interesting i'd never really heard that before so um autonomic neuropathy is basically a grouping of system uh, of symptoms jeez that happen when there's damage to your nerves and then this can affect your the capillaries ability to take oxygen and nutrients and give it to the hair follicles mm-hmm. so it can actually cause hair loss um so it like i don't think you would just have none maybe depending on how severe it was i suppose but it, it is kind of a thing there's there's logic there okay i thought that was cool not cool but interesting he ends up prescribing the pills anyways but he does point out that taking them may kill him if he's developed heart disease because yep. of his uncontrolled diabetes also just take your insulin take your blood sugar we deal with so many cases when we're coding of people that just refuse to or like, oh, I don't want to learn how to take my blood sugar properly. Or, you know, oh, I, I don't want the insulin. They're, don't get me started on the prices of insulin. But mm. if you have access to the correct meds and stuff, take it. Come on. Diabetes is one of the biggest, probably the biggest comorbidity. And if you have any other problems, it's just going to exacerbate them. Or, I mean, it can, like Kill you. House says, it, it causes a lot of problems. Exactly. If you have uncontrolled diabetes, you end up having kidney problems, heart problems, all sorts of stuff can develop. It's no good. Uh, he also receives a page at this moment for a code blue for John Henry. Yeah, that's going to be a respiratory page. Okay. Uh, he's going into respiratory arrest. Cameron wonders if it's a mucus plug, but Foreman says it's due to sludging from the IVIG. Yes. They also say he has junky lung sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... Let's start with the junky lung sounds since I just brought it up. This is basically just the crackles and rails, which rails is more of a rattling sound instead of kind of that crackly staticky sound uh, that you hear in the lungs. And it's kind of sounds that can't be categorized, um, but they're not good. <laughs> so you're, you're hearing it and you're like, well, something's wrong in there. Mucus plug is disgusting first of all um some of you listening are probably like oh i had a mucus plug when i was having a baby because there's also a vaginal mucus plug but we're talking about airway mucus plugs um this happens a lot after surgery possibly during also i suppose um because you can't cough Mm. right and especially if you have yeah you're laying down for a long time and then you're if you have a tube down your throat and stuff stuff can happen um And if you're having surgery, you don't breathe as deep. It's more shallow. And so it'll just kind of like all collect. And then you end up with this mucus plug. Um, And then sludging. 
Mm. Sludging. Just the word is this rough. Is, I know. This is red blood cells are going to kind of settle and make a mass. Not quite the same as a blood clot, though. They're going to become a mass along um, the blood vessel walls. So think of it like when you see the commercial where they're talking about plaque buildup in your arteries and it's like going through and there's a, you know, there's a little lump of it over on the side and then they build and build and build. That's kind of what's happening here with the red blood cells. And that's going to make your blood circulation no bueno. Um, so the reason this can happen with IVIG is IVIG, or I guess there's the immunoglobulin, um, can cause increased plasma viscosity, so it's going to be thicker. She thick. Mm-hmm. Oof. Thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. So <laughs> now that that's thicker, it's going to be easier for it to glob up, and that's how you end up with sludging. So that's why they call it globulin. <laughs> Maybe glob. <not. laughs> no, but sure. It's related. Cameron wants to push uh, heparin to thin the blood, but Chase says it won't work fast enough, and they need to intubate him. Uh, Foreman says they can't due to the DNR and refuses to treat him further, but House pushes him aside and intubates him in view of his manager. So let's talk a little bit about what just happened here. Let me, real quick, so heparin we've talked about before, it's a blood thinner, right? Um, And then when you're intubating, you are inserting that tube through the mouth and then into the airway. Down the throat, Mm -hmm. to like directly to the lungs. somebody to breathe. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, intubation is not CPR, but it is forcing somebody to be able to breathe. Because once you're intubated, it's opening up that airway, they can put a bag on you, they can put a machine on you. Ventilator, all that fun stuff, yeah. Which is life support, which is pretty much the point of a DNR, (laughs) is to not end up on life support, not be brought back. So... This is directly going against a DNR. I did see, and I don't know what the laws in New Jersey are, that a DNR does not exclude intubation in some states, that you would have to sign a separate DNI for that. For that, for Um, a do not intubate. Yeah. So it seems to be implying here, at least, that they don't require a DNI to prevent intubation. Right. Um, And I didn't go into the different laws on that. Um. I know that there are two separate things. I just, my personal opinion, if I sign a DNR, then like I'm ready to go. All right. Yeah. <laughs> like, just let me go. I go back and forth on it. Like to me, there would be a difference between don't let me be brain dead or, you know, on a ventilator or right. something. That's very true. As opposed to bring me back real quick and I'm okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if, if I started breathing bad because, again, according to them at this point, he's got low bar pneumonia. If he stops breathing, well, this could be a transient event and, you know. And if he'll his, be fine. Yeah, if his pneumonia heals, he's fine. But he'd he, still have ALS. Yeah, as that's far true. As he knows. So I go back and forth on it. I, I do think House went against what John wanted from his DNR, which was, if I slip, I don't want to right. stay which also foreman's the one that was there when he did the dnr and i would assume that foreman talked to him about it at length that's not a form that you're just like yeah oh, let here. me sign this i'll come without... back and get this in a while yeah i'm not just gonna let you sign it without knowing exactly what it entails so the fact that foreman was like no no we can't do this 
um, makes me think that he had more information exactly. than Mouse did. Or yeah. maybe there was a DNR and a DNI, but the show didn't feel like getting into both or, yeah, New Jersey laws or whatever. Breaking it down. Yeah. All right. I'm going to say it was shitty either way. It works out in the end, but meh. So, Foreman. Wow. Boing. <laughs> Foreman is mad they intubated against what he believes were the patient's wishes. Uh, House says his mental competence during the signing of a DNR could affect its relevancy since his thyroid levels being low, as we checked, might be causing depression. Which is true, but they were not low enough to cause depression. No, this is just a ploy. This is yes. something that House is, is trying to do. And I don't, even if they were low enough to cause like a really severe depression, I'm not sure if he could get away with that either way. With yeah. that being a, like mental incompetency. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Incompetency? I said Sounds it, right. last time I said it, it sounded weird too. No, it sounds right to me. Okay, great. Maybe just one of those words that feels weird in your mouth. Maybe I'm incompetent. Incompetent. All right. Cool. Uh, An ALS diagnosis is a death sentence, and if the patient believes they'll only continue getting worse, they may not want to fight to live. Uh, Foreman ends up leaving. Chase suggests, uh, as they continue trying to figure out what it might be, Chase suggests vasculitis, but it wouldn't hit both lungs at once. Cameron suggests... Is it... Wegner's granulomatosis? Yes. Wegener's. Okay. Mine Wegner's. corrected to Warner's. And I was like, well, that's <laughs> not right. Wegener's granulomatosis. Uh, at Actually, let's go ahead and talk about that real quick. I'll get into the rest. Uh, that's going to be a... We're going to talk about that for a second. Are you sure? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Wegner's. Let's go. Trigger warning. Nazis. There it is. Mm-hmm. I knew we'd get here eventually. So this is now known as granulomatosis with polyangiitis. There we go. The reason, well, let me tell you what it is, and then I'll tell you why it's now known as that. This is a pretty rare disorder. It's going to cause your blood vessels in like your nose and throat and lungs and kidneys to be inflamed, very inflamed. Um, It's part of, it's... There's blood vessel disorders called vasculitis, and then this is a specific one. Version. Right? Vas- so vasculitis is an umbrella term, as usual, and it's going to make blood flow to your organs slower, so it's going to cause issues. The reason that it is now um, under a different name. So originally this was named after a German physician named Friedrich Wegner. That was not a German accent. I don't even know why I did that. And he was the chief pathologist in Lutz of occupied Poland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is no direct evidence that he himself conducted experiments, but he 100% knew that they were going on because he was the chief pathologist and the people working under him did for sure conduct experiments. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into too much detail. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Nazi Um, shit. Yes, and I can give you a million things to watch if you want to get really angry. Um, So he knew they were going on and did not stop them, whether or not he actively participated. Um, Also, turns out, so they thought he was the first one that, like, figured out this disease. He was not. Somebody did four years before him, um, and he was just like, haha, that's mine now. But aside from that, it was known as Wagner's, for so long, because his Nazi ties 
weren't figured out until 2000. Wow. Yeah, under wraps. So obviously when that all came out, um, there was a couple guys that were like, yo, we can't we can't keep calling it this. Like, yeah. this is not okay. And so they petitioned to get it changed, and they did eventually. And that is the horror corner of today with Nazi experimentation. So if that's the case, I'm just going to call it GM the rest of the time. That's fine. Um, I am also... A little irritated. When did this episode come out? Or when like was it? 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. It was... So when they were doing their research, they decided that that was a decision for them to leave that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which is a little annoying. And they also call and, it Wegner's specifically yeah, the rest sure, of the time. Listen, that rolls off the tongue a lot better. Don't get me wrong. Um, And I'm sure in a lot of circles and in a lot of medical settings, they still call it that. Because it was that for a very long time. And that's... I, I get it. But the show could have written it differently you said they had a choice granulomatosis with uh polyangiitis i would just call it angie's granulomatosis i don't know (laughs) angie's disease angie's angie's list there we go it's it's angie she did it so there's that and there's the nazis fun Uh, a process server arrives with a restraining order preventing house getting within 50 feet of john or treating him as well as recommending criminal charges for battery. He also calls the woman a stripper. Yeah. To her face. Because that's house. Because he's a sexist pig. And unprofessional. To, uh, he's always unprofessional, but damn, I hate scenes like this. Again, wasn't necessary. Didn't add anything. Yeah, didn't, didn't it? It's just a it. very pretty, well-dressed woman. You're not allowed to be pretty and professional. You're just not allowed. No. And she was wearing a pencil skirt. And like, I get it they're fetishized but like it wasn't super short it was yeah it was and fine. Also, yeah pencil skirts like a lot of law P- people that I, work in law offices wear pencil skirts kind That's, of a yeah kind of a staple yeah anyways she wasn't wearing staples though or working for staples you don't know that she had a side well, gig she might in this economy <laughs> although at this point the uh stock market bubble hadn't crashed or i guess the housing bubble yeah. hadn't crashed so then were the times back then House tells Cameron to test John's blood for C. Anka using the blood they've already drawn since they can't actively treat the patient anymore. He also asks Chase to grab a lung biopsy while he's doing bronchoscopic suctioning. There it was. Yes. (laughs) Bronchoscopic suctioning to clear the lungs. This is something they're already doing um, for him. Foreman's got him doing it every, I guess, few hours. So he just says, yeah, if, if you're in there, if you want to grab a piece of his lung. Eh, just good. to check it out. Just to look. Uh, he also moves the patient to the second floor ICU, which will prevent him from needing to do clinic duty due to its proximity. It's directly above. So he says, oh, it's within 50 feet of the patient. Can't go into the clinic. Smart. Honestly, you yeah. You hella smart. It's pretty smart. That's why we don't see any more clinic patients That's during this smart. episode. So, Sianka. Sianka? He says Anka. Yeah. Sianka. Sianka. Um, we're looking at anti-neutrophil cytoplasmic antibodies. You're welcome. And mm. this is produced by the body, obviously, and it acts against one of its own proteins. So, not a good thing, because we're attacking ourselves here. And pretty much, if you have, like, high levels of these, you probably have um, vasculitis. Like autoimmune vasculitis. So already what we're looking at, talking about, he just wants to get these levels, see what's up. 
doing a bronchioscopic suctioning. Bronchioscopic suctioning. This is for the pneumonia. Like you said, they're already doing it. He's going to basically take a long, flexible tube, shove it on down there, and it's got a suction pump. It's either... It, why would you make that noise? Because that's the suctioning. You that know it how makes. disgusting that's going to sound through somebody's speakers? Pretty bad. <laughs> exactly what it sounds like inside it, the lungs. It can go through your nostril or your mouth, um, but they're going to shove it down there and then you're going to suction. And you're not going to enjoy it either way. No. And you're just going to do it in kind of like bursts. It's a uh, two to five seconds. So you're just trying to get all that excess mucus out of there and Which clear really- it up. Really sucks for John because he's already been intubated, so he's already got a tube, and now they got to shove another tube past that. I would, oh, got to scooch on by you here. I mean, they could just, like, tube through that tube. I would assume. And then put a tube inside that tube. Yo, dog, heard you like tubes, so I put a tube in your tube so you can tube while you tube. It's, it's just like that one movie. Can't recall. A tube within a tube. Uh, House speaks with Cuddy about the restraining order. Cuddy says she knew House wasn't sane, that's her words, not my words, when she hired him and that she will always push back on his weirder ideas and treatments, but that her trying to stop a person from living within their nature is in self insane. Can her words, not mine. She set aside 50000 a year for House's uh, legal expenses and thus far has always come in under budget. Uh, he asked for help running tests on John as well, but she tells him that Foreman called Dr. Hamilton in, who is flying in from L.A. to pull the plug on John. I thought it was interesting uh, that, I mean, obviously she would need some kind of insurance or something. She would need a lawyer on retainer for House. Mm-hmm. But her saying that she's always come in under budget to me implies that House really hasn't been sued that much. Because you can go through 50K real fast. Right? Or it just gets dropped really fast. Or, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it was just, it was kind of weird to me too. At the court hearing, House's lawyer requests John Henry remain on life support. They speak of how House intubated the patient against his will, and House speaks directly to the judge who tells him his lawyer must speak for him. He does it a lot. He gets kind of annoyed with House because House keeps on standing up and interjecting. Yep. They say removing the tube and letting John Henry die will violate House's Sixth Amendment right to face his accuser over the battery charges. Uh, During this time, Wilson speaks to House, kind of whispering in his ear about the fact that even if John is allowed to stay on life support, the battery charge and restraining order stay in place. But House says at least it's going to buy him some time. He just wants to solve the puzzle. Yeah, exactly. He, uh, Wilson says some people have a God complex, you have a Rubik's complex, you just have to solve the puzzle. Yep. The judge seems unwilling to let John Henry stay on life support until the full trial can occur, because it would probably be a long time. Yep. But House decides to sort of distract him uh, with his own medical knowledge by pointing out what he says are signs of clubbing on the judge's hands, which point to heart disease, undiagnosed heart disease. It ends up being a ruse. It does work because the the judge, I guess, is convinced that House knows what he's talking about. So he lets the... uh, Yep. How you doing there, bud? Life support. He lets him stay on life support. There we go. (laughs) I I blanked out. I was about to say something else. That wasn't right. Uh, But it was a ruse since the judge doesn't actually know what clubbing is. So when he starts looking at his hand, he's like, oh, do I have it? Well... Wilson says, I didn't see any clubbing. He's like, well, there wasn't any. Yeah. 
and almost every ha- family has heart disease issues yes. somewhere. So that's yep. just an easy sort of magician's trick that he pulled on him. And clubbed fingers is a symptom of heart or lung disease. Okay. Any pretty much diseases that make you have like low um, blood oxygen levels. It, it'll cause clubbed fingers, such a thing. What is clubbed fingers? Do you know? Did you find that? Um, yes, it's hard. We're not going to be able to explain it with words. Or I'm not. It'd be easier with a picture. I'll show you later. Perhaps we should do it in a song without words. I'll post it on the Instagram or something. Okay. So Chase tells House the biopsy only showed inflammation. But House wants to go ahead with the GM diagnosis and search John on Cytoxin. House wants them to risk their medical licenses to do a treatment the patient doesn't want, but they are unwilling to do so, so he does it himself. Uh, Dr. Hamilton arrives and speaks with House about the treatment. Hamilton says he ruled out uh, GM already, and that, like House, he is a good doctor, too. Ooh. Foreman arrives and speaks with Hamilton, apologizing about putting John on IVIG and, in general, just being very different than he is with House. Like, he's super apologetic. He's polite. There's a bunch of niceties exchanged. He's really schmoozy. It's gross. Hamilton (laughs) says he's going to pull the plug on John, and House says he can't due to the court order, which, for him to remain on life support. But Hamilton says the charges are being dropped, so if there is no charge against him, there's no Sixth Amendment right to be violated, so therefore they can pull the plug. I'm really surprised he didn't see that loophole coming. Yeah. I mean, but also he's like, oh, that means there's no restraining order now. I don't think that's how that would work. Restraining orders can be separate from charges and stuff. Yeah. Like he doesn't say, oh, he dropped the restraining order and those charges. So I don't, I don't know. They don't bring it up. It just seemed odd to me. I don't know how that works with the legal system. I've never had to have a restraining order on anyone. Yeah. So. I wonder if if they just dropped it because they're like, well, we're about to pull the plug anyways. And yeah, He's going to die, so it won't matter. Yeah. John is pulled off the plug. The the He's not pulled off the plug. The plug is pulled the off lid. of John. Patrick, the lid. The lid. The lid, John. And he continues breathing on his own, which <laughs> means it was not GM This whole all. scene <laughs> kind of cracks me up because they're just like, cracks me up, but like also if you put yourself in that situation... You say all your goodbyes, you're ready, you've got your loved ones there, everyone's crying, everyone's so emotional, and then he just doesn't die. It's like, Oh, God damn it. (laughs) Wait, what? Shit. (laughs) You have 100% accepted death, and then you don't die. It's got to be a weird, weird thing. Odd. And yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, because we've seen a lot of patients intubated on the show before, but pretty much all of them have been unconscious during their intubation. Mm Mm-hmm. He is full-blown awake for this whole thing. Yes. So, like, he is awake looking at them, looking back and forth as they pull the tube out, and then he just just won't die. Um, Side note, Cetoxin is a chemotherapy drug. Clopasphamine. Okay. Okay. Uh, The difference with pulling him off the... Pulling the plug off of him. You don't pull him off the plug. He's not on, he, he is on the plug, but you don't pull him off the plug. This, this is just semantics at this point. Mm-hmm. One of his arms is now paralyzed as well, which they believe confirms ALS. House believes the leg and arm paralysis are unrelated. 
and Cameron suggests an embolism stroke uh, could be the reason, or she says embolic stroke, mm-hmm. could be the reason his arm is paralyzed. House wants to do an MR angiogram to confirm, and because the patient patient dropped the charges against him, he can talk to the patient and potentially treat him too. Yep. That's what we're going with. So an embolic stroke is when a blood clot from somewhere else ends up in the brain. Okay. And you have an embolic stroke. It's going to like lodge and then block the flow of blood, which we've talked about in previous episodes, and that causes a embolic stroke. It's a type of ischemic stroke. And since he had sludging, it could be that, because his blood got real thick. Um, it could be a little bit of that, but also how long has it been since he got up and out of that bed? That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, John doesn't want House to treat him, and House knows that depression wasn't caused by low thyroid levels. Again, he was just uh, making a gambit. So John's depression is really just from his hopelessness. House wants to find out what's really wrong with John. Really wrong was what I wanted to say. Willy Wong. Willy Wonka. Really wrong with John. And once he does that, he offers to help him die if he still wants to. John says regardless what happens, because he can't play anymore, he has nothing left to live for which House wonders if that's all he really is, just a musician. Uh, John says House isn't any different. He wouldn't risk his freedom or career... Wait. Oh, sorry. He wouldn't risk his freedom or career to treat a patient who doesn't want to be treated unless his obsession was all he had left. He says it makes them great at what they do, but prevents them from being normal people with normal lives, like having a spouse or children. And unlike other people who lose one thing or another and continue to have other things to live for, once they lose their one great thing, life is essentially over for them. Uh, House is like, yeah, sure, okay, but I'm still going to do an MRI on you because while it might be over for you, it's not over for me yet. Are we ready to talk about suicide? Yeah. Okay. Because this is, I mean, this is where it comes up. Because I am specifically going to talk about assisted suicide. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is what House is offering. Okay. So, assisted suicide. Um, there's a few other terms for it. You can call it physician-assisted suicide, assisted dying, um, whatever you want to call it, because it all comes down to the same thing. So, this is suicide assist- assisted by a physician. Um, the assistance provided... I, I think sometimes people picture this wrong. It's not like, hey, I'll smother you. Um, it comes down to them prescribing a lethal dose of drugs that the person then gives themselves. Okay. Um, so that's where, you know, people have problems with it um, or people that do have problems with it. You know, the line gets blurred a little bit because this, yes, they are giving them the means of getting this thing. But is that any different than Walmart selling guns? Yeah. They're giving people the means to kill themselves. People have the means to kill themselves in a million different ways. Um, So, surprisingly, assisted suicide. I'm going to (coughs) sneeze. I sneeze once an episode. (laughs) It's it's a tradition at this point. Assisted suicide is actually legal in... 10 different jurisdictions. California, Colorado, District of Columbia, Hawaii, Montana, Maine, New Jersey, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington. Um, That might be surprising to some people. A lot of people don't know this exists. Like, this just isn't something that really comes up in their world. It is interesting, however, because a 2018 poll 
showed that 72% of Americans are in favor of allowing assisted suicide. Like medically assisted yes, suicide. which I thought was really interesting. I was not expecting that number to be that high. Um, I think there's, we've talked a bit before with Dante's Inferno, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, religion and suicide, People's, where that comes in. Yeah, spiritual beliefs mm-hmm. about it, yeah. Uh, So I was really surprised with the 72%. So I am very much for assisted suicide. And that's going to be controversial. And that's fine. Um, I... There's a million laws surrounding this, right? I can't just go to the doctor and be like, I don't want to be alive anymore, but I don't want to shoot myself, so give me some pills. Like, that's, that's not how this works. There's, of course forms and stuff there's a lot of legality to it there's a lot of laws to qualify there's there's different qualifications that you have to meet um it's not a just one day decision um we're talking about people with terminal diseases that like als um if that person decides they're done they're tired of suffering you have terminal cancer um that's that's what we're looking at here i'm all for it i don't think there's any reason for humans to suffer more than they need to i think there's a lot of people in hospice and nursing homes that should be allowed to have this option i think that humans are obsessed with keeping humans alive far past where they should we are forever looking for you know that that tuck everlasting moment right of living forever that vampire moment that sounds horrible to me yeah (laughs) um and I think we focus way too much on that as a community. Do you? I have a little bit more about some stuff, but do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's a tough subject to tackle for me. Um, I very much believe in bodily autonomy, a person's choice to do what they wish with their own body, you know, be it uh, if they want to be pregnant or not pregnant anymore if they what they choose to do in terms of like sex work or stuff like that i believe very much in someone's choice to be able to do what they want there um but i go back and forth on assisted suicide because i i recognize specifically um assisted suicide at the moment medically assisted has to do with terminal illness and all of that Mm -hmm. and a person's choice to end suffering yes but that one specifically is suffering related to illness, like mm-hmm. physical illness, whereas other people suffer in other ways that yeah. they don't have any way to get out of in their mind, at least, or any hope. And I recognize there's a difference between, you know, having a moment of intense hopelessness mm-hmm. because a lot of bad things happen at once and you're just at a low point versus a lifetime mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. Um I don't want to suggest that I'm for just anyone committing suicide because I'm not. Of course not. I I would want, you know, anyone who's considering it, whether it's medically due to a terminal illness or otherwise, to talk to someone who's a professional about it and all of that stuff. But I I suppose I, I look at it and I'm just like, okay, that's cool. But like, where do we draw the line of where this suicide is okay, but this one's not? Well, and I think maybe that's why... Um, a lot of people call it assisted dying mm-hmm. or, you know, other terminology because suicide has a connotation with it, whether you want it to or not. Um, we as a society view suicide as being selfish and taking the easy way out. Um, 
right that's that's how it's portrayed that's not how I think of it but that's how it is portrayed and so I think calling it a different name is a little more effective yeah Um, and with calling it assisted dying it's it's less of I am taking my own life so much as I am already gonna die and people know it it's coming it's gonna be bad mm -hmm. we know exactly what it's gonna be right uh but I'm choosing to go out a different way. Yeah. And I also think when we think of suicide, we tend to think, oh, that's selfish, right? Because you're like taking your life away from others. Whereas with assisted dying, it's almost the opposite to me. If you choose not to do it, you're keeping your suffering around for others as opposed to like dying for yourself, if that makes any sense. But that's the same thing. That's, that's again, why I have such a hard time in wrestling with it is the fact that a lot of people feel that way. I'm just a burden, you know, when it's right. mental illness specifically. Yeah. I'm just a burden on other people. I can't make anyone happy. I can't make myself happy. And because I can't make myself happy, I'm making other people miserable, like mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not saying I'm against assisted suicide, um, I am definitely for... It's a gray zone. Yeah. I'm definitely for people who are physically suffering in extreme pain. They know for a fact that they're they going to die from this. they will not be able this. to get out of. Yeah. Before yeah. the end, they're going to lose all their bodily functions. Mm-hmm. They're going to be on a ventilator or something. Um, being able to say, I want to go out while I'm still relatively healthy. Right. Uh, but again, I, I I wonder where we draw the line to say, okay... We're, yeah, it's a, it's a very much a gray area mm-hmm. we're getting into. Which is why I mean, there are a lot of laws with it, and I think there could yeah. be more. And that's a very good yeah. thing. This isn't something to go about willy-nilly. Also, this conversation is coming to you from two clinically depressed people. We're not yeah. just sitting here trying to pretend we know anything Armchair about diagnosis or anything like and, that. Yeah. And Elk actually did study this stuff and has a whole degree in it and everything but we we're not just trying to like force our views on you or anything yeah suicide Anyways. is a weird thing on mental illness side of things but all, also just on like a, a philosophical side of yes. things so uh, back to where i was going with this assisted suicide started in the u.s when it was brought to well maybe not started but was brought to attention in the 90s with jack kevorkian you probably heard of him He was a doctor, and he performed about 40 assisted suicides in Michigan, and his first one was in 1990. He was charged with murder, (laughs) Um, and then those charges were dropped because there were no laws about any of it, right? So he wasn't violating the law. So Mm -hmm. this is where it all started. Um, Kevorkian ain't great, okay? But I think he did start something very important. But he kind of crossed cross some lines from assisting people to just doing it himself um making the decision and playing god of oh you're mercy killings essentially is is where he went to which was not okay um he actually uh taped himself giving a dude a lethal injection and then put it on 60 minutes so interesting uh and he was found guilty of second degree murder and he served, he got a 10 to 25 year sentence, served eight years of it. He got out and died in 2011. Um, he got out. say he died a while yeah, back. Yeah, he got out in 2007. And so he did have a few years after that. So I'm not saying that everything he did was great by any means. He's not, not somebody to look up to, but he did kind of get it 
um, looked at and started. He brought an idea into the, yes. the spotlight. I yeah. think he started with good intentions and then got this taste of power. and Possibly because he was the first... Yeah. It may have been, oh, well, look what I've done. I'm, Especially I'm after super, the charges got dropped. Yeah, I'm famous right? and I got away with it and people yeah. are fine. So now I get he, to decide. Uh, he killed a lot of people, uh, whether it was... They wanted him to yes, or not. Yeah, he he did kill a lot of people. So, all right. That's uh, <laughs> that Big fun goof. part. Sorry for that tangent. I think it was necessary, though. So let's keep going. All right. Uh, Hamilton and Foreman eat in a fancy restaurant together. Very fancy. Looks like food that would not be nearly enough portion-wise. I want more. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. Hamilton talks about lectures he gave, which made him tons of money, as well as giving him other fun perps, perks like cigars and nice hotels and pools and stuff like that. He asked if Foreman likes working with House, which Foreman says isn't the word he'd use. And Hamilton says they work too hard not to enjoy themselves. He asks Foreman if Foreman's seeing anyone, which he says he kind of is, and that maybe it could get serious, which I guess I could mention later. I don't remember when this comes up again, but Foreman seeing someone? Yeah. Okay. I mean, like, they just kind of throw it out there. Yeah. And it's uh, like, oh, he has time for that? It's it's definitely they don't follow the Chekhov's gun principle here. Like, yeah. You mentioned something, they just don't bring it up again. Uh, Hamilton implies he wants Foreman back in L.A. to work for him. Foreman discusses going to work for Hamilton in L.A. with uh, Chase and Cameron, which would be a partnership rather than a fellowship. He would get three times his current salary. He would get a car allowance. He would be given moving expenses and a pension plan. Sounds pretty sweet. Chase wonders why he didn't just tell him yes outright, but Foreman says, oh, well, I made a commitment, which Chase is like, yeah, that's the reason. Um, Foreman asks if they would have taken the offer, but Chase says he doesn't need the money because he's rich, and Cameron doesn't hate House. So uh, Foreman believes House should show more signs of regret for doing the wrong thing when it comes to patient treatment. Uh, but at this moment, the team finds evidence of a stroke um, caused by an embolism, proving House was right that mm-hmm. that paralysis in his uh, John's arms and legs were unrelated. Foreman says, oh, yeah, sure, if you make enough guesses, one of them's bound to be right. And Chase is like, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just really lucky. Yeah, because he makes these guesses all the time. Yeah, and, make, and he's he ends up being right by the yeah. end most of the time. So it's like he's not just lucky, he's actually a good doctor. Uh, they decide to bust the clot with something called TPA. Yeah, it's a protein that's in your endothelial cells, and it. Uh, I'm getting into some words. Um, <laughs> it activates the conversion of plasminogen into plasmin, and that's going to like that's an enzyme, and it breaks down the clots. Did you just summon a demon? Yes. All you need to know is that it. it it's a protein. It activates some stuff, helping an enzyme break down clots. So then your, your blood can get back to your brain and you're all good. Okay. <laughs> Foreman suggests to John that they start him on heparin, which would dissolve the clot. Okay, so why did they say they're going to bust it with TPA and then immediately next scene he's like, oh, we're going to do it with heparin? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's fine. Yeah, they, they probably did both, honestly. Okay. But a side effect would be potential bleeding into his lungs. 
John doesn't want the treatment if it prevents his lungs from working because he, him jazz musician, him play the trumpet. That's all he does. Foreman then suggests an embolectomy instead, which prevents damage to the lungs and could still remove the clot. It would either help him and he'd get better or it would kill him. So as far as John's concerned, it would be a win-win. He's not wrong. Yeah, so they're worried about an effusion, which is where fluid ends up collecting kind of like between tissue. So like for your lungs, it could be in that cavity, which would not be good. Mm -hmm. Um, An embolectomy is, yeah, surgery. You go in and they, you had one. They yep. go into the artery or vein, whatever, wherever the problem is. wire through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And remove the, the embolus. It's weird. In this one, they make it seem like all they do is literally just move the clot to the side. Like, they're like, oh, we're going to hook it and we're going to unblock the, the vein that's uh I thought they pulled artery. it out. Do they not? They literally just show them like pull it to the side and blood starts flowing down an well, artery I mean, that wasn't before. I assume they yeah. did pull it out eventually, but yeah. it's just weird that or they Or maybe didn't... they they moved it or broke it up into smaller pieces and let the heparin do its thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Um but in terms of brain surgery, like when they said brain surgery first, I always see like some saw three shit. Yeah, cutting a skull open. Yeah, and, and operating a brain. Right. It's not that. It's a tiny wire that they it's pass through. It's still brain through. surgery. Yeah. They pass through your veins and arteries and stuff with yes. a very small wire to move stuff mm-hmm. around. And messing with a brain at all, any form of brain surgery, is dangerous. Yes, There's very lots much to, so. Lots to do a bad touch to. <laughs> bad touch. Uh... So he agrees to do it, and the team successfully removes it, as we said. Foreman tries to half-acidly and passively suggest to House now that he's been around, now that he's been around Hamilton again, he notices a different style with him, and that maybe he might be a better fit for him than House is. It's Just it's come really, out and say it, my dude. Just fucking say it, man. Jeez. Uh, House says he doesn't care for apologies and appreciates honesty over politeness. House wonders if Hamilton's humility is actually genuine, which he says humility normally comes with self-doubt and some self-questioning, as opposed to fake uh, humility, which is polite and patronizing. I see what he's saying. There is such a thing as genuine humility. Yeah. But I, I do get what he's what he's saying here. Yeah. House doesn't have humility, but he's suggesting that Hamilton only pretends to be humble and he's, he's humil- just not humil 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 um house says when you're wrong humility and self-doubt are helpful uh but when you're right it actually hurts you so you end up second guessing yeah. or letting yourself be a pushover so this is kind of in my mind an indirect callback to when cameron was correct right off the bat mm-hmm. with the diagnosis exactly but they she got some pushback and because she had some self-doubt she's like oh okay well Maybe it's and not that. House does have some humility because he, he's open to hearing other people's opinions and yeah. he wants to hear other people's opinions. You know, they brainstorm all the time. He just only wants to hear certain people's opinions. Yeah. But he is willing to say, oh, that's a good idea. You know, I like it. Let's run with that. Yeah. So I don't think he's completely. And I th- I think, too, his version of humility isn't just if someone suggests that he might be wrong, he's like, oh, well, okay, that, you know, maybe that's right. He's not like that. His yeah, version yeah. of humility is, if you can prove to me I'm wrong, I'll admit yes. I'm wrong. Um, so general theme, I guess he's pushing forward here, is just be bold. Um, so John ends up regaining the use of his arm after the uh, procedure, 
and Hamilton congratulates House on his diagnosis. House has no time for his platitudes and goes to leave, but John says he felt House touch his leg, suggesting it's no longer paralyzed. Oh, well, that's weird. House says John now is feeling up to his calf. They aren't sure why, and House wants to start ruling out possibilities and figured out what treatment they have him on that could have helped him regain that feeling. Hamilton believes his experimental treatment that John's been on is working, but Foreman thinks the timing is very suspicious, which House brings up as well. He's been on this treatment for at least a year, maybe more. And it hasn't done anything, but he just happens to be under House's treatment, and this gets better, so. I could be completely wrong here, and I didn't research it. Um, I just had a realization, kind of, but I'm pretty sure, so ALS is progressive, and it starts at the bottom and works its way up, um, which a lot of things do that. I think if it were a disease like ALS, and those treatments started working, it would reverse it. Like so they're saying, the like, trunk could move down? Yes, because they're saying he has feeling from like his toes up to his calf right but his thigh and stuff is still paralyzed yeah and i i would think so it's weird to me that hamilton is like oh it's my it's my stuff because i don't think that's how it would work again could be completely off base he also he's very off-putting his character is just off-putting in this like he's just like uh foreman was being with house like he won't just come out and say what he needs to say and he seems very, oh, I'm, uh, I'm smart. I'm super polite. Everyone likes me. Like, eh. I don't appreciate some of the stuff House says, but I at least he's honest. Frat boy energy. Yeah, very much so. Uh, House wants to take John off each of the meds that he's been on to rule out one by one, which is helping him. They'll take him off all of them and then add them back in gradually to see which one is uh, is helping Cameron says if he stays on all of the drugs, he'll walk again. But House also points out that the particular mixture they're having to give him right now would eventually kill him. Yeah. Um, they said it's <laughs> they toxic. Have on, yeah, they have him on a lot of stuff, and uh, it's probably not good for the organs there. Yeah, steroids, antibiotics. Uh, they had him on IVIG, like just a lot of stuff. They Cytoxin. They him on chemo, yeah. drugs, yeah. Uh, Chase says taking him off everything would also make him worse. Uh, Foreman believes Hamilton's treatment may be the one that helps, but House points out again that for the amount of time he's been on it, he should have been walking months ago. Hamilton confronts House on his taking John off his medications. At first, <laughs> at first, House doesn't want to tell him which meds he's removed, but he realizes the reason he's asking is because John did indeed get worse again. He's lost feeling in that leg once again. House wants to restart the steroids, but Cameron worries they might cause another respiratory failure, so he asks Foreman to give John another MRI, uh, but when he pushes back on it, he asks Chase to do it instead, because that's just how Foreman's being right now. Yep. Chase has Cameron help with the MRI and asks her to do thin cuts from the T9 through the cauda equina. Yep. What? Something about a horse. Did we skip some stuff? I don't know. Maybe I just put stuff on here out of order. Whatever. I got more notes. I'll go to them. Okay. So you got your vertebrae. Okay. You have your cervical, your thoracic, and your lumbar. You have a certain number of each. There's a cool way to remember them of the times that um, you eat. Because you eat at 7, 12, and 5. Technically. So you have 7, 12, and 5. Okay. 
Anyways, so we're talking about thoracic. We're talking about the T9. That's the ninth one. Starts at one at the top. These are the middle ones. Okay, but... It, the, so it starts from the top and then yeah, it goes so down? Yeah, so like T1 down to okay. T12. Yeah. I just made hand movements like they can see it. Whatever, you'll figure it out. Google it. Um, Don't worry, I can see it. <laughs> but... So the ninth one uh, communicates specifically with your adrenal glands via the nerves because of where it is. So we've been talking about adrenal and thyroid and all this stuff. So that's fitting. Um, And if you displace that vertebra, it can cause a lot of problems with adrenal glands and your kidneys because your adrenal glands are on top of your kidneys. Just chilling. The cauda equina. Equina? Equina? Equina, I think is what. Um, But he's he's Australian. it, It means horse's tail in Latin. Um, so the reason it's called that is it it's a sack of nerve roots, and it looks like a horse's tail. So these nerve roots are, you, you got your spinal cord, and then these come out of the spinal cord between spots to connect to the rest of your body. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of. Um, and it's like in the middle of those lumbar vertebrae down here. Again, I'm going to make hand movements. Just look up the diagram. Again, I can see it. It's yeah, fine. It's fine. So they're going from T9 about here down to that down here okay Okay. so that's where they're and they're doing thin sections which we talked about before when they're doing it they're they're slicing it really thin on the imaging they're not skipping big chunks they want to see every little detail so instead of like thick cut bologna we're going with like fucking shaved turkey yes i want i I want a sandwich (laughs) apparently did you want me to tell you the things i thought we skipped was it the carotid artery yeah that's where they go through to do the embolectomy Oh, that's okay. Yeah. That's where that came up. Yeah. I just like had written it down in case somebody didn't know where that is. It's it's the big ones on the sides of your neck. The big ones. The big ones. The ones that... It's weird because I, I hear people say jugular and, and carotid. I guess carotid are the big arteries and your jugular is just the big veins. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I don't know why. I just always associated them they directly say, with um, the jugular. The jugular. Together. That's what I meant to say. Not chugular. We're going to talk about sex real quick. If you want to properly choke somebody, you don't want to be pushing on their jugular and on their air pipe right here because that can actually cause like death, um, which this could too, but the carotid arteries are what you actually want to push because you can push just a little bit, restrict that blood flow more safely. You should always do it safely, um, but it's going to give them that high without uh, actually cutting off air supply. This has been Sex Talk with <laughs> Elgin Meerkat. Rough sex. I, we had to get it in there. Somewhere. There we go. You can stick it in anywhere. Uh, <laughs> so, here we go. Um, they went ahead and scanned the horse's tail. Chase wonders if House would actually let Foreman out of his contract, but Cameron says he absolutely would. You, you made me spit out my coffee. Whoops. Was it because of the horse's tail? <laughs> yes, they scanned the horse's tail. Uh, but Cameron says he would because not letting him go would mean that he needs him and House is too proud to admit that. Oop. Uh, we jump to House um, talking to Foreman about all of this, about the fact that Hamilton probably made him a job offer. Uh, and he says, Hamilton is a great doctor, but wonders if he's better than House is. Foreman says, oh, of course, it's all about your ego. And House says, Foreman's opinion of him doesn't really matter to him. It wouldn't change his opinion of himself, and that House's opinion of Foreman shouldn't change Foreman's opinion about himself and that he's simply saying if Foreman thinks Hamilton is a better doctor and that Foreman could do or learn more from him, then he should take the job. There's also kind of like, okay, this guy turns up and he's just like, yo, job offer. 
we don't know how long it's been since they've talked. I mean, they know each other, obviously. But then it's kind of like, well, why can't he finish out his two years here? And go work there. And then go work there for yeah. a partnership? Like, you know, hey, let me let me learn more at this place and then come work for you. Yeah. I get the, the feeling for Foreman, it's just a matter of principle, I guess. And then for House, it's kind of a a test for him. He he yeah, wants to sure. see how he thinks about Foreman in terms of what Foreman chooses to do. Yep. And also by doing this and putting the ball in Foreman's court, he doesn't have to tell him he wants him to stay. Yes. Uh, sneaky, sneaky. Clever, clever creature. Uh, Foreman asks if he should just ignore the mockery and abuse he gets from House and that House rides him if he makes a mistake, which Hamilton would forgive and move on from. House says he doesn't blame him he holds him accountable for mistakes that he makes and that hamilton doesn't actually forgive he says it's not your fault yes when it really is your fault yeah Um, i i get what house is saying here and i agree with it honestly house says he should feel great about taking chances and just feel bad when they're wrong he shouldn't feel bad about taking a chance he should feel bad about it being the wrong decision uh and that's um feeling bad when they make the wrong decision makes them a better doctor. Uh, Hamilton doesn't feel bad when he makes a big decision because he just chalks it up to, oh, it's not my fault. You know, I did my best or whatever. Right. And he sleeps better at night because of it, but he shouldn't. Yep. Which I think implies that House doesn't sleep well because of some bad decisions that he makes which, occasionally. I mean, isn't wrong. Yeah. I, yeah, he's saying basically Hamilton is somebody that's just like, well... I tried on to the next one and he sleeps fine at night, even though his patient died. Whereas house, you know, if he makes that big mistake, if his, or even if his patient doesn't die, like it keeps him up. That puzzle keeps him awake trying to figure out what the right answer was. So he doesn't make that mistake again. And he says it's because he believes what they do matters, like truly matters. And he, in his mind, at least thinks that Hamilton doesn't feel the same way about his own job. Um, if he's willing to let himself off the hook all the time, then does he really care? Uh, so that they kind of leave it at that. Hamron tells Cameron. Hamron tells Hamron. House. <laughs> Cameron tells House they found an intradural arteriovenous malformation, or an AVM, which we mentioned earlier, that is compressing John's spine. The inflammation of this malformation masked it on the original MRI. But when they gave John steroids, it reduced the inflammation, which revealed the malformation, as well as relaxing the compression on the spine, which caused feeling to return to John's legs. Yes. And if they remove it, John will walk again. Let's talk about all that fun stuff. Okay. So an arteriovenous malformation is kind of a bunch of blood vessels that are tangled together. So, yeah, (laughs) I mean, just like imagine a knot, right? Things are going to be pushing on each other and like... Like a, like a horse's tail. Yes. (laughs) Um, and these connect arteries and veins. So obviously that's not good because now blood flow and oxygen isn't normal because they're tangled. Like you've got kink in your hose, right? Maybe you've got a couple of them and only... Stop. I just... Kinky hose. You you sounded Canadian. Oh, you've got a kink (laughs) in your hose. Oh, sorry. (laughs) It's the Michigander. We were talking about, uh, uh... Kevorkian yeah. died where I was born. He, the exact he was same up in Michigan. Spot. Uh, the same city. So that counts. The Michigan's just coming out in me. Uh, dang it. <laughs> okay. King so. in your hose. 
<laughs> you got me confused. So you're going to have problems getting blood and oxygen where they need to go. Um, so arteries take the blood from the heart to the brain and then veins carry it back to the lungs and heart like to get oxygen mm-hmm. so veins take them back to get oxygen and then the arteries take them so you're disrupting all that flow because capillaries are the middle points between them right like your blood goes through capillaries to deliver the oxygen and ends up from arteries going into veins yes okay so if that gets a roadblock if that gets all tangled up and shit that's gonna yes yeah, so yeah. all those blood vessels oof it's it's getting messed up. Okay. So you can have extradural or intradural um, compressions. So they said this one's intradural. So it's coming in, coming from inside the sac outward. So it's compressing outward. Okay. Whereas extradural would be compressing inward. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like one would be like inflating a balloon and the other one would be like squishing something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're inflating the balloon here. Okay. Yes. Also, it's coming from inside the sack. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's interesting. So they end up doing the procedure to remove it, and he goes through physical therapy and regains his ability to walk. I just want to point out, they do this in a montage like they've done so many times. This dude hasn't walked for probably about two years. It would take months for him to be able to walk out even though he walks out with a cane it would take him a long time because he's got to have some serious atrophy if he hasn't used his legs in two years yeah i'm gonna talk about it a little bit yeah um do you want me to talk about it now yeah yeah there's only one more thing after this so cool so when you're removing that avm you're going to do a laminectomy which you remove bone that's covering the spinal cord so that you can get in there, do what you need to do, and fix it. That's basically what they did to me. Do they put the bone back where they found it? Uh, for me, they put metal. <laughs> so I don't. I guess you could, depending on how much bone you take out, maybe you could like put the bone back on and put metal on top of that. I don't know how they normally do it, honestly. Um. Anyways, but so yeah, you break it open, you go in there, do what you need to do, throw that back together, and boom, it's gone. Say what um, you need to say. Recovery time. Listen. <laughs> it's fucking spine surgery. Most, okay. So most of your normal stuff you could probably do within four to six weeks, but you'll be recovering probably like up to six months. Yeah. As far as walking, um, with a lot of spinal surgeries, you walk that same day. Yeah. They actually want you to walk, right? They got to make sure everything's working. You want to get blood flowing. You want to prevent blood clots. But... This isn't just spinal surgery. This is, he hasn't walked in two years. So yeah, you're going to have a lot of muscle weakness. You're going to have a lot of atrophy. We're, they thought he had ALS. So I highly doubt that they were doing like a whole bunch of physical therapy for the past two years to keep those muscles working. Like maybe they were doing some to prevent blood clots, but they probably didn't have him doing a bunch so that the muscles would keep working, right? Um, yeah, there's, there's no way. He wouldn't be leaving on a cane for sure. I really don't even think he'd be leaving on a walker. I think they'd because probably wheel him out. Y- you're going to tire out. Even even if it was just, oh, he was fine and then had a back surgery and now he can walk again. But you're going to get tired really fast and you're going to be in pain. You're going to be on a lot of drugs. There's all sorts of stuff. I, I feel like they would have discharged him. Like they would have done some initial stuff and made sure that his muscles were rebuilding themselves. Yes. 
and then they would have discharged him home where they would mm-hmm. have had someone come visit him to do PT like four times a week. I think they would put him in, a, in an inpatient Or an actual therapy. inpatient p- facility. Yeah. yeah. But either way, I mean, he assumed, assuming he has money, yeah, maybe he'll just do like a private in-home type of one. He's got that jazz money. But I don't think he'd just be walking out of no. there, that's for sure. Yeah, especially in the, in the time frame. Like, I, I would assume that he he's walking out of that sometime in the middle of season two. <laughs> that's what we're seeing we're seeing a flash forward to season two when yeah. he finally gets done with his stuff i don't know um but yeah let's talk about him walking out john is discharged and he's walking out with a cane uh he ends up giving house his trumpet on the condition he never plays it very sweet i'm assuming he gave him his trumpet because he did mention before that he's quote-unquote done I, I don't know why. Maybe his I mean, damage... he probably has more than one trumpet. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah, I just gave it to him as a gift for, I guess, giving him a reason to live. Um, because since it's not ALS, I would assume he'd be able to regain his strength. His hand would work fine. His lungs should be working fine. So no reason why he couldn't continue to play. Anyways, uh, he points out that House was probably a grump even before his leg injury. And when House takes his Vicodin and says it's because he's in pain, John says, aren't we all? And that's kind of the end of the episode. Yeah. So they were kind of pointing out their similarities there. Which House is in pain physically. Yeah. But also he uses it as a crutch. So So we'll go through a couple things here. Character stuff. House is willing to go to jail if it means potentially saving someone's life. That's... That's yep. his principles right there. That tracks. <laughs> um, despite more or less giving up on living a full life himself, he refuses to let someone die just because they're depressed or hopeless, which to me says that despite what he says, otherwise House does want to live a full life. Yes. Um, he also realizes through his conversations with John that he is really good at, at his job, but it prevents him from committing to other things like relationships, which we do see up, come up later in the series. Um, also, House's pill problem is a lot like John's initial unwillingness to continue to live. It's really just a symptom of a deeper depression surrounding hope and yeah. hopelessness. Uh, from Cuddy, we talked about the fact that uh, she set aside a lot of money for him mm-hmm. to cover his legal expenses, so... She's known from the beginning that House would probably be a handful, but she hired him anyways because he's just that good. Nothing new with Wilson. Yeah, where's he? He just keeps on popping in to do some witty banner with House about his cases and... Just hanging out. Yeah, poke at the way House thinks about him. Uh, Foreman, we found out, had a fellowship before this one, and he really liked that lead doctor. Found out he had a relationship, or has a relationship. Has a relationship, yeah. What? He seems interested in all of the perks that would come with working for Hamilton again, but his time with House seems to have changed his perception about what the job is. It's not just going to fundraisers and stuff like that. It's it's not just making money. Yeah, it's a, it's about helping patients and solving the puzzle. He likes the coziness and politeness of Hamilton and hates how, quote-unquote, mean he perceives House to be. But when House points out that it's not mean to point out facts, like when a decision is wrong... Uh, Foreman recognizes in the Stop. end he'll be a better doctor under House and by doing so also implies that House is the better doctor. Yes. 
Cameron reveals she doesn't hate House. She's been mad at him before, but doesn't hate him or despise him for how rough and terrible he can be sometimes. Uh, and then with Chase, we find out Chase is really the only one of the group who is unburdened by money problems or anything like that. So he really is free to make any decision he wants. Yeah. And I mean, the rest seem to be doing fine. Yeah. But... He could work under anyone he wants because money isn't an issue. Yeah, we already he, knew he was rich, so. Yeah, but he chooses to work under House because yeah. he's able to make that choice and recognizes House as a good doctor. Uh, so, I had two final thoughts that weren't about assisted suicide. Okay. Uh, the first one, the evolution of medicine. Okay. So, House brings up um, right after when they find out that uh, John is regaining feeling in his leg. Hal says something to the tune of, oh, you know, it's not just good enough anymore that someone's feeling better. We have to tell them why. Mm-hmm. Why did this treatment work? And he says that's the evolution of medicine. Um, and I thought that allowing, was interesting. Allowing people to have an understanding. Yeah. At some point in our history, it was just good enough for people that a treatment worked right regardless of the why and the science and all of that just that it worked and how suggests in more modern times that's just not good enough people always want to know why treatment worked and i think this makes sense on a larger scale because that's how science works yes that's if, what I was pretty much gonna say yeah if you or someone else can't replicate results then it's not reliable right. data well for- and also if you can't look at it and say okay this worked you know x worked for y what if we do x plus b could that work for Z? You yeah. Know, being able to break it down and look at how things worked and why they worked, why these different enzymes and proteins and, and blood thinners and how all of this can work together. Um, how just our body works and the stuff going, especially with those enzymes and proteins, that's kind of where I was thinking, um, how they work within us. Okay. How can we isolate that and duplicate that and then make that better and apply that to different things? Or how could we take the things that are already happening inside our body, take something else, add it to it and cure this or stop this. Um, yeah. Or, you know, it, it goes the opposite way too. Oh shit. If somebody has too much of this and we put this in them, it's going to make it worse. Yeah. So it is important. I think, um, on a smaller scale, like maybe one person to the next, individually we may not necessarily care how or why something works and we just like the results like i don't necessarily need to i do understand but i didn't necessarily need to understand why the blood thinners that i take are helping me um and we don't even know what caused the clot i'd like to know but it's good enough for me to know that they don't know what caused it it could happen again so i need to be on this Yeah. yeah um for the most part, and at the like regulation levels uh, that you'd want uh, for a treatment or drug to be effective most of the time, obviously, that's why an FD, the FDA approves drugs is yep. because we've done the clinical trials. We've done it over and over. It's we've minimized side effects. Yeah. And in most people that take this, it works. It, it helps with this specific thing. Um, however, I'd say an increasingly individualistic society people don't seem to care as much about the larger scale effectiveness or something they really only care whether it works for them and how it affects them that's why you see so many fucking anti-vaxxers it's why you see so many 
I was unregulated say. herbal supplements yep. and essential oils. <laughs> I was just about to say MLMs, MLMs with essential oils. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All these random homeopathic remedies that one person, your cousin's mom, who would be your aunt, why didn't I just fucking say that? <laughs> <laughs> your aunt says, oh, well, I... It cured my sniffles, so you should take it for your cancer. Yeah, I, I shoved this essential oil suppository up my butt and now i don't have a headache anymore so it works for everyone it'll work for you for this other random obscure thing coffee enemas you know that sort of stuff um i think that's why trump's like whole hydroxychloroquine statement was really bad yes and about injecting bleach and stuff too because if you have someone famous and uh influential say shit like that People then, don't give a shit that yeah. it hasn't been tested. They're like, well, like, the president said it, so they do it. He's like, LOL, I was kidding. And I'm like, but there's so many people that don't understand how medicine works who don't realize that you were kidding, who think that this is possibly a really good thing, who are just going to go and try it. We're just going to do it. That's not okay. we don't care that it hasn't been tested. You said it worked. Yeah. And this one person said it worked, so I'm going to do it. Mm, that's a problem. Um, I think it's also a problem why it's frustrating i'm not mad that people didn't have it worse but it's frustrating for people to say oh i had covid and it wasn't a big deal right this, this because isn't it a, big, wasn't a deal. big deal for you but maybe you didn't have any comorbidities maybe you you know had something else that was helping condition. you maybe, yeah yeah like, it's so bad yes. for the people to say, oh, it's not a big deal. I had it. It was just like the yeah. flu. Hey, well, the, I'm glad it wasn't bad for you, but yeah, that the, doesn't mean that's the same for everybody. 400,000 Americans who have died from it so far would disagree, yeah. or the people with lasting conditions and stuff. Um, I don't think House was really knocking how medicine has advanced or anything, since he does enjoy the puzzle. He does enjoy the why and the mm-hmm. what and all of that. But, um, but I think it's annoying to him to have to try to... Um, explain like trying to explain vaccines to the mom in episode two or whatever that was of oh i'm an anti-vaxxer and he's like uh hey here's why you should do what your doctor says or like the asthma mom and you know all these different things that he has to deal with all the time of just do what your damn doctor says and stop googling things and like going against my decisions yeah people just don't like being told what to do yeah and they don't like uh people coming from a place of authority regardless I, of their intent or I not. don't think you should just 100% trust your doctors every single time and never get a second opinion or never push back against it but uh, there's some stuff that it's yeah people go too far with it anyways yeah. and then the other thing um this is talking about House's discussion with Foreman about uh feeling bad about making a wrong decision Mm -hmm. um just sort of the usefulness of guilt and shame um i think this is another interesting philosophical topic the ability to recognize when we're wrong and should feel bad is important because it can keep us accountable and motivates us to do and be better but what's more most important about it is that it spurns you into action right like it makes you change something about yourself yes it gives you incentive to change and it it gives you incentive to try harder the next time yeah um it's not useful when the shame is so heavy that it keeps you from doing anything at all you just kind of sit with it um i'd say it's also really important to notice where 
that feeling is coming from and what its intent is. Mm-hmm. You know, you and can, whether it's from yourself or from someone else. Yeah, and and whether the intent is to make you feel bad or if the intent is to push you to do better. Yes. You know, there's a difference Very between me feeling bad because I, I don't know, I messed something up at work or something. And my boss saying, well, you, you messed this up. Like I might feel bad because I, I screwed up how I did something, but their intent isn't to make me feel bad. It's, yeah. it's not, Hey, you should dwell on this for the yeah. next year because you messed something up. The point is to do it right. Yes. Um, as opposed to other things like people trying to make people feel bad for their sexual identity or, yeah, their preferences. Let's not get into a huge religious talk, but I want to. <laughs> yeah, like, like that that isn't useful, Shane, no. because that, I mean, there's Especially, nothing wrong with that. And there's so many things like that that are ingrained from a young age, and they stick with you for life, and it's so hard to get past them, and also it can lead to a lot of things, including suicide. Yeah, I think exactly. a lot of a lot of guilt and shame from a young age sticks with you and it can if you had some of that as a child and then like as an adult you yeah mess something up at work and your boss is like hey man you messed that up or even you have to get written up because you messed something up like it's the end of the world because you never learned how to properly deal with that or take that criticism or yeah you know you you never had that experience shame and guilt are beasts man yeah, and it's it's such a weird topic, too, because I, I feel like it would be... There's so many different types. Yeah, and it's difficult to nail down when it's exactly... Like, there's no absolute of when it's good versus when it's bad. Like, I would say it's bad when you're shaming someone for uh, being non, non-hetero. Yeah. Like, or, you know having being non-binary or something silly like that it's bad when you're shaming someone for being that way but it in my mind it's fine to shame someone for being a racist or yeah you know a horrible violent person yourself for being racist yeah but other people the one who is the racist or whatever a bigot would feel the exact same way they would say well why should i feel bad about who I yeah, am. Because they think that person should feel bad for being non-binary. Or... Yeah, or whatever. And I don't know. Like, I, I don't think there's a paint-by-numbers real way to kind of nail down the usefulness of it. Other Just than... a, don't be a piece of shit. That's really yeah. I, what I, I guess like to subscribe to there. In... If I, I tried to nail it down, I'd just say guilt or shame should push you into action either it should be productive yeah it should be productive exactly it should either be you changing how you act because the shame or guilt is right or if it's wrong um and if it's coming from some place in your head that's just telling me you're oh, you're a bad person you're bad you're bad uh you know again from like oh you're bad for being gay or you're bad for whatever uh, along those lines then the other action wouldn't be to change that aspect of yourself, but to replace those voices with positive ones. Yeah, positive reinforcement yeah. instead of shame. Exactly. Hey, how much time are we at? A lot. So uh, <laughs> this is the end of part two. I mean, we can break it into two parts. Yeah, 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 yeah we'll find a spot. Okay. Okay.
I think we're uh, good to go. Thank you for listening. This has been a good discussion. Yeah. And, and we'll see uh we'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye.